You're listening to Behind the Wheels with Doug Mason, Dave Walters, and Mike Yeagley. This is a show where we talk about heavy truck and medium-duty axolands. Doug, Dave, and Mike bring close to 100 years of experience and expertise in the transportation business. Join us once a month to learn new things about axolands. Sponsored by Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Behind the Wheels. I'm Mike Yeagley. I'm Doug Mason. I'm Dave Walters. And today we have Kevin Rowling from, uh, from TIA. Kevin, great to have you on board. Thanks for having me. Well, Kevin, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, now, Kevin is one of the world experts. No, he, no he's, he's the world expert, <laughs> the, according to Dave. The world expert, according to yep. Dave. That's, that's uh, high praise on tires. We have some questions about <laughs> tires. and we, When we have problems, when we have questions, we go to the expert. And so, so yep. we brought Kevin in to, uh, to help us work through a couple of things, give us a little bit of his insights. And I guess what we'd like to do, first of all, Kevin, is go ahead and give us a little bit of your background so people know why you're the expert in tires. Well, I would say expert in tire service. Ah, okay, uh, very probably good. Where that's just to clarify that. Uh, I was born and raised in a tire dealership. Started at 15 years old, sweeping floors, stacking tires, scrubbing white walls. Uh, on my 16th birthday, my father gave me good news and bad news, and the good news was I was getting a raise, and the bad news I was going to start paying taxes. <laughs> and then uh, I started changing tires. Uh, started with car tires. And then transitioned over to truck, small OTR, farm. If it's round and it's black and it fits in the back of a pickup truck, I've, I've serviced it. I've demounted, mounted, inflated, changed, repaired, but never retreaded. Right, Dave? No, no. I'm not a retreader. We've not established retreader. that. I am not a retreader. Not a retreader. I've been around it for 24 years, but I'm not a retreader. So 24 years you've been playing this game. I've been, oh. in, this, I've been in the association for 24 years, yeah. Okay. How many, how many years uh, have you been in the tire business? Uh, 38. Dang. Dang. Ever since I was okay. 15, from 15 you, you to 20. You can 29. add that up now, you know, yeah. 15 yeah, and 38. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 15, <laughs> years, 15 years at the dealership working for my dad. Okay. And then uh, 24 years with the association. So, yeah, I mean, 14, 14, 14, 28, 38, yeah, somewhere around there. It's a long time. And, 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 long and most of, of my adult life. And what are your responsibilities at TAA right now? Kind of what all do you handle? Uh, my title is Senior Vice President of Training, so my primary responsibilities are all of our technical training programs. I am also involved in events. I do government affairs, uh, marketing, publications, pretty much everything that that TIA does, uh, my hands are in it one way or the other. Sort of a cap and catch all type thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the, you know, I have to do a lot of different things. I have to, it's a small association and, and nonprofits, senior executives typically have to wear a lot of hats. Sure. If, if you could, Kevin, uh, briefly, a lot of people doesn't know what the TIA certification program is and all that. Could you briefly describe like your program and how you train the technicians and train the trainers and sure. kind of give us an overview of what you that TIA does. Okay, yeah, we, we, have, uh, we have training programs in automotive, commercial, earth mover, farm, and industrial tires. So we, we provide training for everybody. On the, on the commercial space, uh, we have two different types of programs. We have what we call a, a basic 200 level program, which is OSHA compliance, designed for new hires. So uh, OSHA requires training for anybody that touches a truck tire. Doesn't matter what they do or how many they do, if they're touching truck tires, they have to have OSHA training. So our 200 level, what we call our basic program, is designed specifically for OSHA compliance. That's what it does. The next step is, is our, our certification program, which is our train the trainer, where somebody sends a key employee to a four day class. 
that person becomes a certified instructor. And then that instructor then goes back into the field and actually trains technicians. So, you know, in, in a world and in an age where everything seems to be going electronic and it's all computer-based training and there's all this LMSs and, and you know, modular-based learning, the tire industry since 1997 has always tried to preserve that one-to-one -one contact, that, that discussion between instructor and student, that personal you know, a touch there where it's not just read the book or do the thing and go out, but actually actually answering questions and, and getting dialogue. And, and it's really been kind of fun to watch because when I first started back in 97, you know, we were just trying to convince people they had to follow OSHA. And that took a couple years. Yeah. And, and what it's evolved to now is, especially in the truck tire space, um, you've got comprehensive employee training and safety programs now. And there's a, a group of uh, safety and training professionals now in the tire industry that are getting together and gathering and sharing ideas. 23 years ago, 24 years ago when I started, that wasn't possible because they didn't exist. So I, I think what we've done at, at TIA is, is that we've brought attention to the safety aspect of, of changing truck tires and the importance of educating technicians on procedures and safety guidelines and OSHA regulations to protect them. I mean, I think that's, you know, our logo at TIA is tire safety starts here. And that can encompass a lot of things, but I think the main thing is, is just it starts with a trained technician. And I'm real big about identifying hazards. You know, I want guys to know, and, and we're very, very upfront about that in our training to more or less say, look, here are the ways you're going to die. Okay, these are the th ways that you're going to die, and this is how it's going to happen. And when you know the hazards and you understand the hazards, now you're making decisions for your own personal safety. Because I can tell people, you got to do this or you got to do that. And, and are they going to believe me? Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But when I put a mannequin in front of a cage and I have a zip rupture that blows up and sends shards of mannequin all over the place, it's very easy for me to tell a technician, don't stand there when you're inflating a tire. You know, the zipper rupture tests that we did yeah, up mm -hmm. in Knox years ago. Yes. Same thing. I mean, you know, when they can visualize the risk, then they understand it better. And, and now they're going to make a decision for themselves. And, and when I'm in a class and I'm, I'm teaching technicians and I show that video, and, and the guys that have never seen it before, the first thing out of their mouths are, well, I'm not going to stand there when I'm inflating a tire. I just did my job. Yeah, that's right. And in, in some of the videos that me and you and uh, Pat did at uh, yeah. Michelin years ago, great videos just yeah. to kind of help the industry um you know i've been very fortunate because i went to your school yeah. for the four days yeah. and Long time all ago. my staff has gone to your yeah. schools and became certified and and i think that's important for us to understand when we go out in the field a lot about what the sure. tire is going on the wheel and so it's nice that every one of my people are mm -hmm. basically certified trainers from TIA, which yeah. I recommend that to anybody that's going to be out in the field a lot because you you can relate to the people. So. Sure, and, and I think it's not just that, you know, your guys are going to go out and actually train technicians because it's not their job, but, but certainly when they have that background knowledge, they can visit a dealer, they can visit someplace and recognize that, hey, that's unsafe or what you're doing right there is not correct and, and, and maybe not be the actual trainer, but, but to speak up and say something. I mean, and we kind of, you kind of overstated a little bit, but I mean, you have the potential to save someone's life. Oh, totally. You know, and, and I think that's not, that can't be lost. And, and I think that's part of what has made us successful over the years is that we do keep the emphasis on safety. And, and I want people to go home at the end of the day. That's my thing. I don't care about the rest of that stuff. I mean, I, we sit in meetings and go over kind of stuff like that. And, 
as soon as it affects safety, that's when you're going to get my attention because sure. I know how dangerous it is. And I investigate the accidents, and I've been part of the OSHA investigations, and I've been through all that stuff. And so I know how they're going to get hurt, and I know how they're going to die. So if I can relay that information and save them or their family that pain, then that's my job. I mean, I, I, that's how I look at it. Let's say you have, uh, you have somebody, you don't have your video with you. What's the number one thing that you want them to... Of, yeah, just uh, walk through. That'd be walk good through to walk through a couple through that. of the, the critical things that, that you're trying to get across there. Well, I can tell you right now, statistically, there's three ways you're going to die changing a truck tire. Okay, number one is the tire's going to blow up on you while you're inflating it. Now, if it's in a safety cage, if it's in a restraining device, and you've got an OSHA-compliant inflation device, and you're standing outside the trajectory, and the tire blows up inside the cage, you know, we call that a code brown. And then, uh, you yeah, know, exactly. you, you basically, you know, get a wardrobe change and go back to work. Right. All right. The other way is uh, you're going to have the vehicle fall on you because you didn't use a jack stand. All right. Jacks are designed to lift and position. Jack stands are designed to support. If you work on a vehicle that's on a jack without a jack stand, you're basically putting your life in the hands of a, of a $2 Chinese plastic ring at the bottom of the ram. All right. Now, if, if the vehicle <laughs> is on a jack stand then if the jack fails, the jack doesn't matter because it's on a jack stand. That's it's mechanically right. locked out. And then the other way is what we call a rollover. And uh, we've been monitoring the OSHA fatalities for the last 10 years. And what we found is statistically those are the three ways. And the rollover is you're working on the truck and under the truck and somebody hops in the driver's seat and drives away. Oh so we've put, we've put a, oh, yeah, it happens all the time, especially with CSA. We've noticed that since CSA come on board, you know, maintenance is a lot more up in front of the of the of the reach of the, okay. the, the the fleets they're much more concerned about brakes and stuff like that so there's more people under the trucks uh. so when csa kind of took over we noticed that 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 really kind of ticked up a lot and and so what we did was we put a lot of emphasis on lockout tag out is what we're saying is is that you know you've got to have lockout tag out not so much that you're you're mechanically isolating the machine but it's communication it's a, it's a steering wheel cover. Mm -hmm. It's something across the door. It's something that communicates to the person that's jumping in the driver's seat of that vehicle that it's being worked on and it shouldn't be moved. And, and I've investigated several accidents where technicians were under the vehicle and the driver gets in the vehicle and drives off and then ba dump ba dump ba dump. What was that? Well, that was just a technician you ran over and now he's dead. Now, the and there's no lockout tag out, so he didn't know. The driver feels terrible about it, but how is he supposed to know? So we've put a lot of emphasis in the last few years on lockout-tagout, and the rollover accidents have plummeted. I was going to say, how did you get the word out on that? I mean, lockout-tagout, people who work in a plant or anything like that are very familiar with lockout-tagout, but you wouldn't even really think about that with a vehicle. Well, the, the great thing is at TMC, we've made RPs on every one of these subjects now. And, you know, when Kevin or one of us sees something out in the field, we bring it to TMC and we make an RP. So, I mean, you know, we always kid Kevin about being the expert on lifting and jacking and absolutely and uh, said you know jacking and lifting you always jack first and lifting then you lift. jack and lift jack right? first then lift jack yes. first and then lift but every time we write an RP that's going out in the industry from TMC and we're doing the lockout tag out mm -hmm. the great thing about it is we diagnose a problem bring it into an organization like TMC get it out TIA is another great organization that's you know with the technicians so I mean. That's our job as right. being in the industry is to get it out. And, you know, and I, I'd like to just take one moment yeah. here because, mm -hmm. uh, Kevin, you realize this, but this podcast is going to be going global. 
So uh, people down in sure. South America are taking the what we're saying here. I'm being told that they're going to be doing some transcribing and then okay. putting it into local languages. And so when we talk about CSA, they might not be familiar with what okay. we're talking about yeah. there. Uh, well, CSA is Compliance, Safety, and Accountability, which is a new initiative from the government back in 2010 to uh, better grade or assess the safety and the, I guess the, I don't know what you call it, but just the, 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 the level of operation of a fleet. Because it's more than just maintenance. Mm -hmm. it's, it's medical cards, it's accidents, it's a lot of, it encompasses the basics. I don't know, I can't remember what they exactly the, are, but, but there was just, there's more attention being given right now to vehicle maintenance. Yeah, and that, that means you have more people under the vehicles, which is kind of where that came from. Your CSA score is so important to fleets right now because it's, it's not only about your safety, it's about the driver's safety and yeah. his record, mm -hmm. and it's about, uh, you know, log violations, and it's about the whole yeah. picture. Right. Are you running a safe operation? Correct. That goes straight so, to your insurance. And it goes right. to your insurance. Well, and they had to change it, though, because it was being... Like anything else, you know, a lot of great ideas are great ideas. And then, you know, in practice, it starts getting taken away because people were starting to check scores. Yes. And they've, they've had to change how they do that because they were doing it originally where they would rank you in your group. Ooh. And, and see, you'd have groups from, from zero to 100. Now, the difference between 90 and 20 might be very, very minimal, you know, in actuality. But when you look at a number and, it, well, they're a 10 percent in maintenance and this is a 90 percent in maintenance yeah. or a 90, the, the lower the number, the better. So they've had to change that a little bit so it's not misused, but it's still a good grading. And what I think is the most important thing about it that I noticed when we were doing our CSA video with Michelin yeah. was it's the enforcement officials. That's really where the change has gone. Okay. Because when you're graded on everything, okay, when you're graded on, on medical cards and you're graded on safety and you're graded on engine and all those different things, the enforcement officials on the side of the road, they only have like five to ten minutes to inspect a vehicle. They know exactly where to go. They've got your CSA scores when you're coming across the scale. If your maintenance scores are good, they're not going to go to maintenance. But if your medical card scores are terrible, they're going to ask for those. If your log scores are terrible, they're going to ask for those. And I think that's the thing that CSA has done is it's become a tool for enforcement officials to know where to look. And, and a lot of the CSA or CVSA inspectors, they know that there are fleets that have perfect maintenance, and oh, they yeah. wave them through because yep. it's a waste of time Correct. for them to go through it all. So, I mean... So it's really it, helped out the fleets a lot from that standpoint. If, you, if you're good. If yeah. you're good. No, it's, if you're good. good. it's good. It's, it's you're a, not good. It's kind of hard to hide. Yeah. But, but that, that also, it's you a know, being, force. being good at that puts a lot of incentive to have that guy underneath sure. the truck and yeah. the lockout tag out becomes hugely important because it's a high, more, much more uh, likelihood yes. that there's going to be something that happens in that bay. Right. Uh, and, and, and back to what Dave said before, you know, TIA, we update our programs every five years. So we're updating our programs constantly as well. And because we are active in TMC, the TIA material is, lines up perfectly with TMC, which lines up perfectly with USTMA, which lines up with TRMG. So and which lines up with the with, Alcoa service exactly. manual because every five exactly. years, everybody would say, why do you want to change the manual every five years? Well, we TMC to, right? changes and TIA, we all Correct. go together. We're all singing from the same sheet of music. We're right? all singing you know, from the same book. And I know Dave does this as well as I do. And you know, we've spent some time in court and defending procedures yeah. and guidelines and processes. And when everybody's the same, when you can go into a courtroom and be like, well, these guys, everybody says the same thing, it makes the job of the plaintiff's attorney much more difficult to place blame on something that, that probably had nothing to do with it, but it was just something that was inconsequential in many cases. Well, but it makes it truly an, an industry standard, right? 
It's not an Alcoa standard yeah, I, or a yeah. TIA standard. I, I, it's I don't I use the word standard. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, I know exactly. But, no, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is. There's consistency. And I think that's the, the biggest strength that we've had at, at TIA over the years is that we have taken those steps to ensure that we're consistent with everybody. You know, that's part of the reason why we're here. I mean, I know I started in TMC back in 96, and, uh, and it's been incredible for, for me professionally and personally because I've learned so much. And, and all the people that taught me now have, have kind of moved on. And, you know, now this is the scary part. Dave and I now are the teachers. These are, these are the teachers right here. We're the guys that are teaching everybody. But What is really scary is when I come here and somebody asked me yesterday, one of uh, the lot kids, and said, well, when did you start coming to TMC? And I said, I regularly 1992. Yeah. And They the weren't born kid, yet. And that's exactly what the kids oh, said. Yeah. I wasn't I get, even I, born yet. I get that and I'm too. like, oh, boy, I feel old, but. You know, over the years of coming to TMC, it's been great. Kevin, yeah. you're, you're a part of the stuff. But one of the greatest things that I've ever seen happen at TMC was the day that every wheel company had a different wheel torque, every truck had a different wheel torque. And I remember sitting in the meeting saying, by the end of the day, you wheel guys are going to come to a torque that we can go across the industry. And... That is what's so great yeah. about TMC because you have this vast knowledge of people sitting in a room, and we all had to give and take a little bit, but by the end of the day, we came up to 450 to 500 foot-pounds right. regardless of what wheel, what truck. For disc wheels, yeah. For disc wheels, yeah. you know, 22-millimeter studs, mm -hmm. and, and that's gigantic for the industry to have standard, and, and we even went yeah. ball seat on that. So, yep. I mean... Those are great things that when we sit in these meetings and we talk about something and we banter back and forth, but by the end of the day, we come out with something great for the industry, like a common wheel tour. Well, let's put in a, a little plug for anybody who's out there going to be listening to this, that TMC is a, an organization to really get involved in to improve your fleet efficiency overall, safety overall. Absolutely. It's all, it's all oh, yeah. there. It's so. the best thing in North America for the maintenance organizations. Oh, all, yeah. no you know, question. And it really is. I'm, my, I've spent a lot of time overseas. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I have been frustrated by the ability to spread the word in Japan and China and South America and Europe. Every shop is different, and there's no TMC. There's no way to get the word out easily. It's, it takes a Herculean well, effort to get anything and I'll, I'll give you a perfect example of that in the heat damage to disc wheels issue that, that we had years ago. You know, I've got 4,000 instructors that I can reach in the snap of a finger. And when it came to stuff like that, when we, when we understood what, you know, heat damage to disc wheels was about, we had that stuff out in the field within a month. I mean, it's like this is a problem and this is the check. And we had that stuff out right away. We have a bi-monthly magazine oh, that we put out okay. there. So we can reach the tire guys real fast, and TMC can reach the fleets really fast. So, I mean, you can literally, within 30 days, you can reach a huge swath of North America right. on any kind of technical or safety concerns and, and hit right at it and get, and, and get it to the guy in the field. I mean, that's, you know, stuff sits on the boss's desks all over the nation, but our instructors are very dedicated 
to their to their guys. I mean, a know? lot of these guys that you're talking about have been through your training. Oh yeah, yeah. And where Absolutely. they might not be the manager, these are just grunt guys who are actually going out and doing the work, and yeah. they're getting something in their inbox that says, "Hey, this is what's going on." Well, and they're creating career paths. That was yeah, my big yeah, thing. Yeah. My big thing years ago was, look, we've got all these technicians who have all this experience, and then their bodies break down. And then what do they we do need with them? to move on. What yeah. do we do with them? And, and, you know, we're losing all that. We're losing all that institutional and all that, you know, that, that industry experience. Let's take that guy with 15, 20 years of experience and turn him into an instructor. And now he can pass that knowledge on to the next guys. And, and when I see that, when I'm in a meeting and I see a guy that was a technician and he became an instructor and he did so well that they made him a safety manager and now he's the director of safety. I mean, that, that's exciting. For me, it is it's fun to watch that because – we're making it safer. I mean, you know, the insurance companies are now looking at us as an industry and saying, you guys aren't that bad anymore. That's, that's great. 20 that's years great. ago, you guys were a disaster. Yeah. And, and now, <laughs> now it's, you know what, you're not a bad risk. You know, I mean, you, you do a pretty good job. You're managing risk. And I think that's the main thing is that we're getting tired viewers to manage risk because so, you can't eliminate it. All you can do is manage it. We talked before we went online here, before we, we went live. We talked a little bit about about some of the things that we really need those guys to know. Yeah. Right? Uh, we, we talked a little bit already about the safety stuff. Okay, moving past the safety stuff, what's next? Like, like putting a tire on a wheel. Yeah, go through it. Let's let's talk step about the step. number one issue, which me and you have had this conversation. Yeah, we've had quite a few. Times. We've had quite a few. I mean, quite a few. I think you know if, if you're going to divide it up, I mean, of course, on the. You got to get the car. You got to get the vehicle. You got to get tires off the machine, off the vehicle. And all, so it starts with with the lifting and support. Use a jack stand and a jack and stabilize it and mechanically lock it out so it can't fall on me. Then you're going to remove the assembly, which is pretty simple. That's not really a big deal. What, now, if, it, what if it's? Uh, I've, I've had people talk to me and say, "Well, it's it's rusted on. I I can't get it off. I mean, I loosen the lug well, nuts and drive it around, right?" I mean, no. <laughs> I would suggest that. I would, I would suggest that you, in, in those instances, um, actually, there's, uh, you know, of course, the easiest solution is just to get a rubber mallet or a dead blow hammer and get mm -hmm. behind it and just, you know, take some swings, take out a little frustration on people. Um, but there's, there are new devices now. And, I mean, have you seen the shark fin? Yes. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Kentool came out with a device called a shark fin, mm -hmm. which is designed off of the airbags used in fire and rescue. And they've got a little, it's a little, it's only probably about like a half inch or maybe an inch wide. Mm -hmm. And then you inflate it and it creates separation. Perfect. So it's not damaging the wheels because they had wheel pullers from years ago that would pull off the handholes. I'd show those to Dave and Dave's like, I don't want people putting metal hooks in my handholes. Well, yes, it's about damage. And yeah. pulling my wheels off. Yeah. You know, because you're, you're damaging the, the material. But if you take a, a, a rubber pad, you know, a, a rubber inflatable pad and put it between the wheels and use that to get separation... You're not damaging the wheels. You're not going to do anything like that, and, and you really you make it safer. So I, I think that's that's the if the wheels won't come off with the hammer and all that stuff, then you know what you got to do is you, you get a shark fin or you get something else. And I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but we're we're real big on on following manufacturers' procedures. I mean, we we reference Alcoa in our in our training, and and we encourage all of our guys to to have the manuals from all the different room companies. Um, we put the TMCI, TMC user's guide in our manual because, again, we, we just feel they need to have that, that information. So once you've got the tire off the machine or off the vehicle, you know, now you're going to get into the demounting and mounting. Right. You know, for years you had the tire hammer, the duckbill hammer, and guys are taking the duckbill hammer and swinging the duckbill hammer. Well, I mean, Alcoa doesn't want people smacking the rim flanges and the bead seat areas with a metal hammer. 
So, you know, we had to kind of adjust that and get him into the slide hammers and using yep. that correctly to unseat the beads. Now you're going to go to demount the tire, okay? There's different tools to demount and mount the tire, but the first thing is to lube. Put some form of a rubber lubricant on the beads so that you're not tearing the beads up as you're removing the tire from the rim. Because in most cases, you're, you're, you're going to save that casing for retreading. Right. And if you tear up the beads too much, then you can't retread the casing. Now you've lost the asset. Now the fleet loses that asset, and that's huge for them. I mean, that's costing them money. So we're trying to be professional, so we, we're real big on that. Now, once you've got the tire dismounted and it, the tire's off the rim, we're real big on inspection. I mean, we, we really spend a lot of time on, on inspection, inspection of components, inspection of the rim, inspection of the surfaces. I mean, it's really important for us. So we put a lot of emphasis on that, and then it comes to mounting. And this is where, you know, Dave and I have had now what, what, a number of Step back for a second. Yeah. Uh, we're specifically talking about the tire here. What, what are they looking for in the tire? When you're doing this inspection, what are the main things that they should be concerned about, and what would you kind of step through for an inspection? You know, we always divide it up. I mean, you're going to do tread, sidewall, beads, and interior. Mm -hmm. Okay, so tread, we're looking to make sure we have sufficient tread. You don't want any cuts or chips that expose any plies. You don't want to have any steel or now we're not saying fabric anymore. It's textiles. Yes, I saw that. In the, yes, in now we're, we're for, for years it's been fabric. We're leaving it as fabric because my guys won't understand textiles, so I'm leaving it as fabric. That will be a textile's difference. Textile's a plant, right? I, I mean, yeah, textile could be anything. I mean, it's fabric. You know, it's, <laughs> we get, there's some real geniuses in there sometimes that, I'm, that I'm, love I'm, to get I'm into I'm confused. They, they want to get rid of fabric? Yeah, we don't refer to it now as fabric. We refer to it as textile. Okay. It's textile, uh, which my is guys. A, this is an offline discussion. I, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm wondering what, why. <laughs> because okay, well, there are people in that room that, that felt textile was more accurate. So I really don't care. I'm leaving it as fabric. Okay. I, I run TIA, so I get to do what I want. So we're leaving it as fabric. But you want to look for those things. You're looking for damage. You're looking for insufficient tread depth. You're looking for anything that could, you know, jeopardize the, the safety or the integrity of the casing from the, from the tread side. Um, same thing with the sidewall. You're looking for bulges. You're looking for anything that exposes material, fabric or steel. Uh, same in the bead. Some bead damage is repairable. Some bead damage is not. So you have to know which is which. You know, is this repairable damage or it isn't? And then the same thing on the inside. That type of literature, that'd be something TIA puts out? Or oh, yeah, that it's be in all of our, right? all of our and training programs. And TMC, like I said, well. everything is... Yeah. TMC, TIA, everybody yeah. kind of goes to the same Just drum. so people realize so, they so can find it. So if we put it. into the show notes, a TIA website, people can be able to go. Yeah, tireindustry.org. Just yep. go to tire, www.tireindustry.org. The, the great thing is, is like I said, now we, we have our own online learning platform. So we can provide training anywhere in the world, for that matter. If Perfect. You, you, you buy it that way, and you've got complete training across the board. You just sign up for the online diversity. Now, it's all in English, but, you know, English is a pretty common language now from a business perspective so and other people have said look even if i can't read the language i can't understand the language i can still see the pictures there's plenty of graphics oh yeah plenty. videos we do a lot of video we, we it's we're visual learners tire guys are fingertips in right. tire guys everything is fingertips <laughs> in you ask them to think outside their fingertips they can't do it right if they can't touch it feel it hold it move it and manipulate it physically they don't understand it Right. So you really got to kind of stick with that visual learning and that's what we do we put a lot of that in there a lot of the visual learning so that's available for them as well. So, I mean, that's, that's the easy part. Okay. I mean, getting, the, getting the, the tire off the machine, getting the tire off the vehicle, and getting it off the rim, that's the easy part. The hard part comes next. 
and that's the mounting and the installation. On the mounting side of it, you know, when we inspect the rim, we're inspecting uh, rim flanges, we're inspecting bolt holes, we're inspecting bead seat areas, we're inspecting drop centers, we're inspecting everything on that rim. You know, I'm going to get the best inspection when it's off the tire. When I've got just a bare clean rim, it, gonna, clean it up. Yeah, absolutely. Clean get the up. bead seating surfaces. I mean, and, and for the mounting process, so important. Yeah, exactly. On an aluminum wheel, you know, it, it's a symmetrical drop. So which side are you going to demount and mount from? The side that people don't see. So you know, we try and give that to them as well, just so that they're they're understanding what their role is in in the system. So, and then we get back to lube, and and this is where. You know, Dave and I have had a number of conversations is, what do you lube? And, you know, Dave always calls it as lube-lube. You lube the tire and the rim. We're real good about lubricating the rim, about the tires, but we don't do a good job of lubricating the rim all the time. When you just put lube on the, on the beads, most of that lube gets rubbed off on the flanges as the tire slides over the flange. So now it's a dry mount. And when you dry mount a tire, concentric bead seating is going to be much more difficult. You're going to get irregular wear patterns. You're going to get vibrations. I mean, there's... There's a million and one things that can go wrong when you don't lubricate the rim as well as the bead. So we put a lot of emphasis on that, using uh, lubricants with anti-corrosive properties. It's all part of the process of getting that tire centered on that rim. You know, a really couple a things I'll bring, bring up real quick is, again, at TMC, the conversations we had on lube, because the wheel could take a petroleum-based product or vegetable-based where yeah. the tires are made of petroleum, mm -hmm. so they don't want a petroleum-based lube. Water is bad for both of us. But again, as we go through this, we all stay the same. So we know that this is a type of lube that we need. Lube-lube is, is critical in our industry because Kevin brought up about concentric seating. And I always say that's one of the dark secrets of our industry. Got that right. There's a lot of concentric seating issues because it's, they did not lube lube. Or they seated the beads with the tire standing up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, gravity. It's yeah, real simple. Yeah, yeah. If, if the tire is standing up, the wheel's going to fall down. So as the beads seat, you've got gravity working against you. So uh, especially on steer tires, you should seat the tires with, you know, they're laying flat. And there's stands out there now. People put them on buckets. There's all kinds of different ways to do it. But the objective is to seat the beads on the rim so that it's centered on the rim. It's concentrically seated on both sides. And it'll tear steer tires up. I mean, you want to talk about irregular wear patterns on a steer tire, get a non-concentrically seated bead, and it'll tear up in 50,000 miles. You'll have all kinds of crazy wear because the tread's basically working like a snake. You know, yeah. every time that sidewall's in a yeah, little bit yeah. over here, you know, it, it's 650 revolutions per mile, right? Mm-hmm. All right? So after 1,000 miles, that's 650,000 times that tire's scrubbed sideways. Scrub anything sideways yeah. 650,000 times. What's going to happen? And on the tire, there's the, they call it the, the GG ring, right? Uh, the is that one molded way to tell rib, yeah. yeah. The molded rib on the lower sidewall. GG ring is a Goodyear-specific term. But oh, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. That's okay, though. I mean, everybody calls it the same thing. <laughs> all the old Goodyear guys will always That's the what they GG call all rings. wheels Alcoas, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Well, just the aluminums. <laughs> just aluminums, not the steel wheels. <laughs> Not one of the wheels. things when we're talking about that, you know, you have to have 230 seconds. But most of the time... For driving trailer. Yeah. Most of the time, I can go and look at the beads, and yes. they kind of, like, come in and out. And if yeah. you see that, you know you've got mm -hmm. concentric seating issues. Right. Yeah. And the question always from the person is, well, which one's bad, the tire or the wheel? And, and say, neither. Yeah. It was the way you mounted them. Yeah. Right. Well, right. Well, yeah, the rim's running true, but the tire's doing this. Yeah. <laughs> the tire's going side to side, and the rim's running straight down the road. Right. Now, you know, it's, it's, 
you got to get them aligned. Exactly. Wheels can bend too, but I mean, it's it's unlikely that you're going to get that much lateral bend in a wheel, you know, especially on an aluminum wheel. But because I mean, it'll probably crack before it'll bend. Now, there's a lot of discussion about whether or not to lube the drop well. Experts can disagree, we'll say, on this one. But uh, I'd like to get your input on that. You know, we recommend that you lubricate the the entire surface of the rim just because it's the best practice. And and if you're using a proper lubricant and it isn't water-based, and it has some anti-corrosive properties, it's not going to hurt anything. It's going to give you a better seat. Okay, the issue comes into if you're using any kind of a dry balance compound and there's lubricant on the drop center well of the rim, you're going to get issues there. It's going to stick to it. It's going to make it less effective. It's going to ball up. You know, you've got to minimize the amount of, of moisture inside the cavity when you've got a dry compound, obviously. So the, the dry balance compound guys would prefer that you do not lubricate the rim because of that. Now And now, again, I can bring up, you know, the pressure sensors and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They don't like that oh, yeah. either. So, I mean, as we debate this, my number one concept is lube, lube. Lube the beads of the wheel, bead of the tire. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it's really what I'm saying is if you have sensors, you've got compounds, that's really going to dictate yeah. do you want to do the, the center of the wheel. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, we're going to stay with what we're doing. I mean, because then, you know, and, and Dave and I have had this conversation as well. If a properly mounted tire is on a high-quality rim, it probably shouldn't have a lot of imbalance to begin with. Right, right. You know, right. I mean, I mean, let's face it, you're, you know, the, the Alcoa wheels or any, you know. We're talking thousands. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're, the, 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 the amount of runout is, is so small and the imbalance is so small. And on a high quality truck tire, it's the same thing. It doesn't need a lot of balance. Um, there are instances where balance has shown to help. And I mean, we've both been part of all that. And I'm not going to say you don't need to balance. I'm just saying that it's not as important as, as some might seem to think. If, if you've done everything properly, then, then balance is going to be a minor factor okay. In, okay. in the process. Yeah, but if you've... If you've you're fixing if, an issue. You yeah, have to exactly. do a lot of balance. If it's not concentrically seated, yeah. then I can spend all the money I want on balance technology, and I'm still going to get a regular wear. Right, right. Because I'm not going to get... You know, it's not going to roll in a straight line. It's, it's going to have a little bit of a kick. So, I mean, you know, scrub is scrub. You know, yeah. like I said, if, if it scrubs a quarter of an inch 650,000 times every 5,000 miles, every 1,000 miles, that's, that's a lot. I mean, move anything 650,000 times, it's going to going to have an impact sure sure so let's talk a little bit about seating that bead lots of different ways it's all lubed up nice it's all ready to go it's all ready to go now it's time to seat the bead what do you got to say there well i mean everybody uses a some kind of a compressed air blasting device it's a tank that has Mm -hmm. compressed air in it and you shoot the air in it and expends the beads out and and that'll get the the beads to seat on the rim so that it's it's sealed so now it's airtight now one of the things that that we do at tia is that we are adamant about always inflating tires with the valve cores removed. You never inflate a tire with the valve <laughs> core in the valve stem. Okay, and never, why? Never. If the valve core is in the valve stem and during the inflation process, something goes wrong. You notice a bulge. Mm-hmm. You're noticing a separation. There's going to be some, there's a crack in the rim or something like that. Air chucks don't always stay on valve stems enough to depress the pin on the valve core to allow the air to go in and out. So if the air chuck were to somehow dislodge itself from the valve stem so that it's not depressing the valve core anymore, how am I going to deflate the tire? I see. Yeah. I'm going to have to go into the trajectory zone. Yeah, to do that. To yeah. do that. Now, if there's no valve core in the valve stem and I see a problem, cut the hose, disconnect the hose, I really don't care. 
I'm going to be, I, could, I can pull on the hose and rip it off the valve stem, and it's going to deflate itself. Yeah. But when the valve core is in the valve stem during inflation, you have no recourse. There's no way to get the tire, the air out of that tire if the air chuck does not depress the valve core to the point where air is allowed in and out of the valve stem. And so you just brought up another point, though. While you're doing the inflation, you just basically mentioned another inspection. Yeah. Right? Oh, sure. Well, you're inspecting for a zipper rupture. Mm -hmm. And a zipper rupture occurs in a steel radial truck tire where it's overflexed in the sidewall. And it's a circumferential separation. They don't want to use separation. I'm leaving it as separation. This is together. It comes apart. It's separated. So when you get a circumferential separation in the sidewall of a tire, it's called a zipper rupture. It's caused by overinflation and under and overloading. And it's a blast of air. And here's the thing. It's not the blast of air that kills you. That's not what kills you. You know what kills you? Blunt force trauma. When it knocks you off your feet and you yeah. land on your back and you smack your head on the concrete. Or the, or the machine next to you, or the trailer next to you, or the post, or the wall. Another reason to stay out of the line of trajectory. Exactly. If you, I always say this. If you can see the sidewall of the tire when you're inflating it, you're in the wrong place. And I don't care what it is. Even in a cage. I don't, I don't care what it is. Bicycles, motorcycles, car tires, uh, little bitty forklift tires, wagon tires. I don't care. When you're inflating a tire, you stand even with the tread. If you're even with the tread, then... You're, you're in the safest place you could possibly be. Tires will never separate at the tread when they're being inflated. And, and Always when, sidewall. When we were doing a zipper test for TMC in Knox years ago, I was amazed that the tire engineers would walk right up to the, the tread side. And they were not scared no. whatsoever. But my goodness, they would never be in front. <laughs> and no. it was like, these guys designed these, and they're scared to death. Except for the one time, though. Remember the one time we, we were videotaping it? We, we set the camera up in front of the, so we could see it from the right, side. Right. And as I was, like, kind of aiming the camera, one let go on me. And I was a good 10, 15 feet away. And I think I did almost a complete backflip coming off the chair oh, it was, to get the yeah. hell out of the way. That was the fastest I think I've ever moved. But, yeah, exa Dave's exactly right. When we were doing those tests... We had no qualms whatsoever about walking up to a tire with big bulges all over it, as long as we were even with the tread. But no one would stand in front of it. No one would get into the trajectory of that sidewalk. Right, right. Because that's where you're going to get hurt. That's where the, that's where the, the, the accidents occur. Now, you know? one thing that when we talk about mounting the tire, and I know, you know, me and you go way back. Oh, yeah. And, you know, before bead blasters or, you know. Yep. <laughs> well, I've, heard, I've heard these stories. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. So if, if this, this is personal is, experience, isn't it? Is a lot. I've done it many a time. And I've I, never done it. I've done it many a times, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. The old can of ether, and you yeah. spray it around, throw the match yeah. to it, and seat your beads. Yep. The most dangerous practice I've ever seen. And a couple of years ago on the ice road truckers, I seen oh, yeah. one of the drivers doing that, saying, this is the way you do it. Well, I'm here no. to tell you. Did you, you give him a call? This is, oh, this is scary. Yeah, we've, I mean, we've done that. <laughs> we've sent letters to television shows, <laughs> and they just don't respond. Yeah. They don't, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. But, no, Dave's exactly right. I mean, when you put a flammable substance inside of a tire to, and ignite it to see the beads, there's remnants there. There's going to be explosive gases yeah. inside yeah. that tire. And, and there have been some accidents where, you know, a guy takes a duckbill hammer on a steel wheel and goes to swing it, and it sparks it, and it blows up on him. The, the one that I seen most was 
a guy who's taking the valve core out of the tire, a guy's grind, grinding over on the next yep. thing. Yep. Spark hits that air coming out, and boom. Boom. An explosion. They're yeah. like, so what happened? Well, you ethered it to start with, and now it blew up. Yeah. Well, and it can also, it can, it can contribute to a chamber fire. If enough of it's put in there and it kind of soaks itself into the rubber on the inside of the tire, when you put it in a chamber during the retread process, that's high pressure oh. and high temperature for hours at a time. Good point. It'll start it on fire. And if you have any kind of flammable residue on the inside of a tire and it goes in a chamber, it starts a fire inside the yeah. chamber. And, and that's, now you've got a bomb. You've got oh, a yeah. bomb. That's, oh, yeah. You know, that's, that's and, and not to mention the fact that you're going to destroy a quarter of a million dollar chamber. So, I mean, there's a lot of bad things that happen when people, you know, use flammable material to seat the beads on tires. Fortunately, in the professional space, no one does it anymore. No. When I go out to do training classes, I can tell the veterans against oh, the, yeah. the younger ones. The younger ones don't even know what that is. Yeah. But every time you mention that, the veterans kind of snicker and grin, and you're thinking, they did it. They, they did it. But, we uh, did it. Yeah, we did it back when I was working for my dad, before I got there. And, and one went bad. And you could still see the ring in the concrete and the hole in the ceiling from when it blew up and went straight up. And fortunately, nobody was standing in front of it when it blew. From that point forward, my dad was just like, no more. We're throwing away all the ether. And he went out and bought the big seat rings and all the different yep, yep. blasting devices and said, this is how we're going to do it. If I find ether, you're fired. It, it was a, it, that was well, that the end of a scary, it. scary situation. Yeah, he, he said that when he heard the explosion, he came running out of his office and we had a new skylight. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that was the end of that. But you could, we, we left... We left the ring in the concrete in the shop. Uh, as a show, as for, a, something for, to talk about. Yeah, well, when that's, you know, I never like to hire experienced guys because they bring bad habits into my shop, okay? I would prefer a guy that's green that knows nothing, and then I can teach him the right way from the start. Yeah. And we would get guys that would come in and say, where's the ether? And everybody would just point to the ring on the floor and say, it's right there. Right. You know, and, it, well, what's that? That's what happened the last time we used ether in the shop, and if you're caught using ether, you'll be unemployed. Right. So that's pretty much dead. Well, but, you know, it's more about, you know, still, I mean, ether still is. Out oh, no, there, it is. It is. I mean, and see, we had road service trucks, and that's the thing is that, you know, I have control in the shop. Yeah, that's right. All right. On the road service truck, I got nothing, man. I, I got nothing. I don't know what those guys are doing out there. I got no clue. All I know is, is that, you know, the truck doesn't get wrecked. They don't lose their tools and the stuff that they fixed stays fixed. That's success in the tire business on road mm -hmm. service. Because we have no idea. Yeah. These guys are, like, independent. It's just them and their truck on the road. Yeah. You don't know what they're doing out there. Right. So that's the concern that we had was that, you know, we would just spot check trucks and just make sure that, you know, we had one guy that, that talked about it, and I just warned him. I said, look, if the old man finds ether in your truck, first of all, it's a diesel, so you can't give the old I need it to start the truck nonsense because you're not going <laughs> to be able to do that. That was, oh, I need it to start my truck. It's a diesel genius. Yeah, that's not going to do anything for you. But no. It, 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 we're a lot safer today. I mean, the industry's a lot safer. TIA's played a role in that. Our thousands of instructors have played a role in that. The, the dealers have embraced safety, and they've finally seen the high costs of low training. So it, it's really been a, 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 an evolution in many ways, and, and you know, I'm, I'm proud to be part of it, and, and Dave's part of it, and Alcoa's part of it, and TMC's part of it, and, you know, everybody that participates in the RPs is part of it. I mean, so it's really a community thing, and I think... You know, we have a lot to be proud of as an industry that we've made it more professional. We've made it safer. 
and we've turned it into something that is is sustainable, you know, long term. Because it's hard work. I mean, you know, tire service is not easy. No, you know, you, no. but you can make a good living at it. You just so, got to work. So you've got the tire inflated now. We got that yeah. far. We got to the tire being inflated. What? And once they've got that inflated and yep. they do a little inspection while it's still in the cage, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah we'll do inspections while it's still in the cage. And uh, we overinflate it to do kind of like a pressure test. And then put the valve core in it and, you know, now comes the... Now you said overinflate it. Yeah. Yeah, we'd overinflate radial truck tires, yeah. Okay, so what would, what would you inflate them to? 20 pounds over the sidewall. Okay. It's a pressure test. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, in, in that zipper this rupture is, this, this space. This is standard, like, oh, yeah. right? right? For yeah. anybody who's working out there is doing this, yep. inflate any tire you're inflating. Oh, yeah, that was Radiance. part of the test that we ran Radial in Knox tires. years Radial ago. truck tires, yeah. okay. Because yeah. it used to be we had to go 20 minutes with 20 pounds. So what we proved by doing all our testing is they blew up before. Like that. You know, the 20-minute rule was not applicable. The 20-minute rule was not applicable. So, so 20 we were PSI, not 20 20 PSI minutes. over whatever's on the sidewall, not to ex uh, exceed 120 or 140 depending on the tire, but right. it's, a, it's a pressure test. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. if it doesn't blow up at 120, it's not going to, in the cage, it's not going to blow up at 100 when it's in my face. Right, right, right. Because it's really kind of hard to install it on the machine or the vehicle without being in the trajectory of the well, sidewalk. You have You're to right. be. You're right in front of it. Yeah. So overinflate it, and if it doesn't blow up there, then it shouldn't blow up in your face. So we, we, we always prescribe that procedure, and, and again, most of our people, now everybody's gone to automatic inflators that do it, do it automatically. Oh, okay. I mean, you just basically hook the, hook the air chup on there and hit the button, and it takes it to 20 PSI, and it stops, and then you got to do the inspection, and then you have to hit the button to make it go to 120, and then it goes to 120, and then you inspect it, and then you hit the button again, and then it brings it back down to 100, and then it's on the way. Okay. So you don't have to stand there and, and, and you know, watch every pound going right, in. Right, and, right. and they it's a high pressure type thing. It, it inflates faster. There's and, a lot and of most of the there. shops have multitudes oh, yeah. of these. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, big shops. They're doing yeah. they're doing multitudes of these at the yeah. time. The automatic inflators have really yes. made their life great. So it's made more efficient, yeah. No question yeah. it's more efficient. It's more efficient. So now we go put so it on the here vehicle. we go. Here we go. This is uh this this started oh boy. 13, 14 years ago, maybe even more, 15 years ago, um, we were doing work with a, uh, with a large retailer on the car side. We're real big on using proper torque. So um, it's a procedure that kind of leads up to it. And this, this particular retailer that we were working with said, you know what, I need an acronym. I need something that I can teach my guys that's going to remind them of what to do when you install a wheel. And that's when I came up with wrist. The wrist procedure. And the wrist procedure is now the industry standard for wheel installation across the board. And wrist is remove, inspect, snug, torque. Okay? Remove. Remove debris from mating surfaces. All right, Dave, if I've got debris on the mating surfaces, what's going to happen? Bad things. Yeah, loose joint. Well, All right, but I've got the right torque, though. Yeah, I, don't I got the it. right torque, Dave. No, Dave, I went out and I bought $20,000 torque devices. And I'm guaranteed to be within half of a foot-pound of 475 foot-pounds. But if I don't clean the mating surfaces, what happens? It's going to loosen lose up and then lose. The joint settles. The material works itself out. I've lost yep. my bolt tension. I lose my clamping force. But I had the right torque. And again, they tell you that but every I, day. I had the right torque, Dave. I know. Yeah, this, is, this is, sounds like a discussion that you guys have had once or twice. Well, many times. Many well, times. Many. There's many so, reasons to yeah, have so, the right torque but not correct. the right tension. Well, but, I mean, again. It's, and, and, <laughs> then, and then the best one is, hey, we have those little indicators. Oh, jeez. You know, oh, and, and, so and me and Kevin both understands that that doesn't 
tell you that. Uh, right. They look pretty. You can they settle a joint without it moving. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. Yes, you can. And by the time that wheel comes loose, you're never going to find those little indicators. No. So you got wrist. So it's, Re it's remove. 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 Remove debris from mating surfaces. Perfect. We got to have clean mating surfaces. Perfect. I is inspect. You got to inspect the components. All right. If if the if it's a ball seat wheel and the ball seats are warm, but I got the right torque. Wrong tension. If it's a hub piloted system and the flanges don't move, I've got the right torque, but I'm going to get the wrong tension. If the, the bolt holes are worn, if the studs are necked out, yep. I mean, again, you know, the, the fallacy and the disservice that this industry had been doing for so many years was torque, 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 torque. And that's a good thing. I mean, we really hammered on torque. Right. You know, but you're making a great point. You it, know, it's not just torque. No, no. I, I, we, we say this. Torque is the setting on the oven. Yep. Torque's the setting on the oven. The recipe for clamping force, the recipe for clamping force and bolt tension is remove and spec snug. That's right. All right, and, and we use that when we're teaching our classes. You know, if you've got the right temperature on the oven, does it guarantee that your recipe is going to come out correctly? No. Right. It guarantees nothing. I mean, if I'm supposed to grease the pan and I don't grease the pan, then whatever I put in the pan ain't coming out of the pan. It's one step in the process. Correct. So, so we, we try and use that recipe wrist is the recipe for bolt tension and clamping force so remove debris from mating surfaces and then you're going to inspect all the components you know inspect the studs the nuts the bolts the wheels the bolt holes everything it all has to be in good condition and then s is snug in a star pattern you got to seat the wheels you know on hub pilot wheels position the pilot yeah, pad at 12 o'clock sure. yes make sure the wheels are properly seated i know dave and i have gone through this a lot with you know, look, if, if the wheels aren't properly seated, then as soon as the thing's under weight, yeah, it's going to click back into place, and then exactly. Now we, now we got loose wheels, but we had the right torque. Had the right you know, torque. You keep going back to that. We have the right torque. Well, but if the wheel's not seated properly, if I don't have equal distribution mm -hmm. of force between all 10 of the, of the bolts and the, and the lug nuts, same thing. You know, you can have the greatest torque devices in the world, but if it's not seated properly, the wheels are still coming loose. I think a lot of folks don't realize how little movement of that yeah. nut. Rotation. Rotation yeah. of the nut it takes oh. to get to from from hand tightened yeah. to 500 foot-pounds. Especially on a hub-piloted system. Especially yeah. on a hub-piloted yeah. system. I mean, a half a turn, oh, three-quarters of a turn, something like that is going to take you Hundreds. from, from, from yeah. hand tightened oh, to God. where you to, need to be. To, yeah, to they pull out the big guns, they drive it yeah. down, they take it you know, three or four turns, and it's way over torque. You don't need a whole lot well, past the, yeah. that hand tightened. In the tire business, we call them ugga-duggas. You know, how many ugga-duggas does it take to get to the right torque? And, and you can't guess that. But, and, I, and I will. And, and, you know, to give credit where credit's due, you know, Alcoa came out with those centering pins mm -hmm. that I always give them a hard time oh, about how much they cost. So time, yeah. if the Alcoa marketing people are listening right now, you're charging too much for your damn pins. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and now there's all kinds of private market. But, I mean, those things are fantastic. And, and we promote those in our classes, and we put them in our videos yep. because you're going to get the drum seated. If you use those pins, if you use those centering pins to get those drums seated first, now you're guaranteed that the drum is seated on the end of the axle. Then the wheels go on much easier. And again, we're and you just... Protect, they protect the threads. And, and you can't get them cocked. And no, that's, no. That's I mean, there's so many good stuff. things. And, and I've got more guys now, especially on the younger techs, that are like, wow, it's a lot easier with those pins. <laughs> All I have to do is just get a couple bolt holes lined up and the wheels slide right on. Yeah. So yeah. they're using more of those. And, and, you know, when those first came out, I was, I was on those right away. I had one of the first sets. I think I had oh, them before I, they, they were even commercially available. I was yeah. using them in my classes because I saw the value in it. I'm like, wow, that's going to seat the drum. And I know that you worked on that a lot. Oh, that was I, worked, a, yeah. I worked on that I know. for a couple of years. And 
you know, the expense, and it's it's hard to, but we had to heat treat those because we're pushing on drums. Right. And back when they were cheaper. Is that why they're so expensive? That's why they're so expensive. I knew that was coming. Heat treated. Well, and, and, and you can also torque them pretty high. Yeah, but right. I mean, when they started, when we figured out they could push on the drum and seat the drum, yeah. that was gigantic. And then caulking, yeah. you really don't caulk the front wheel, but no. boy, the rear wheels, yeah. you could get them caulked yep. pretty easy. Yep. Because a lot of technicians would put them on, and they're going to, like, lean back on them. And if you tighten that bottom nut, you just screwed up the whole system. you yeah. got to slide them on by doing that top one. And then do 12-6. And, and, you know, that's critical. And yeah. then... You know, we get into, you know, me and Kevin, it's funny because, you know, we come up with sayings when mm. Peggy used to try to separate us like little kids in school because we'd sit back there and make up names. So yeah. the good and tight method. Good the, and tight. Good and tight. That's the German method. The German wheel put, installation procedure. Good yes. and tight. The good and tight. How many Yaga Duggas? Tell them, tell them about the good and tight. Because well, the good I and tight is, yeah, the good and tight is just take an impact wrench and hammer on it till it stops moving. And, you know, on, on a hub-piloted system, you'll be upwards of 1,100, 1,200 foot-pounds oh, yeah. easily. Oh, yeah. You've totally gone past the easily, yield point. Easily. We've done a really good job, I think, as an industry over the years of, of getting people interested in doing it correctly and professionalism. And, and I absolutely know that wrist, I mean, it's not just truck tires, but it's car tires, earth mover tires, everything. I mean, we've, we've made wrist the worldwide installation procedure for wheels. And again, you know, when I first came up with it, you know, you were one of the first people I called. And I said, yeah. what do you think about this? And he was just like, that's perfect. I mean, yeah. remove inspect snug torque, remove inspect. I mean, people got stickers on, on buildings and posters in buildings and buildings and shops and stuff. Perfect. Does it have right. your, your face with it? or No, 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 no. I have a face for radio. That's why I'm glad this is a podcast. No, but I, I, I did want to bring up one story about the good and tight method because I had a customer, and he was having – tremendous issues with, with stud breakage so he schooled his technician for about a month or two before he allowed me to come down and, and watch him and you know i think he probably went to tia in the meantime but he was down there and he did this <laughs> process and i mean he was lube lubing mm -hmm. you know doing the you know the two drops of oil and doing the drop and doing, making doing 90 percent right doing everything mm -hmm. right yeah. and then he snugs them up he grabs a one-inch gun and he <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Then he grabs a torque wrench and he goes around and click, he clicks click, them click. all and he smiles yep. at me like, see? See? And then at the Nothing's end of loose. the process, at the end of the process, <laughs> the, the, the superintendent of the company looks at me and says, and may you critique one thing that we did wrong? I only needed to critique one thing. <laughs> and I said... Let's grab that torque wrench and turn it up to as high as it will go. Yeah. And it went click, click, click. And then he says, how tight? So we, we went to a earth-moving dealership, brought their torque wrench yeah. back. It was 1,200 foot-pounds. Easily. And they wondered why they were breaking studs. Easily. Easily. And that's, I said, this is the good and tight method that we've yeah. talked about for years. You snug them up. You run them up. I mean, you don't even need a one-inch gun. No. I mean, the, the no. guns, half-inch guns, yeah. or three-quarter, 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 get you up there. Then you bring them to torque. So I mean, yeah. that's very critical in what we do. Max torque on a one-inch impact wrench is right around fifteen to sixteen hundred pounds in most cases. That's max torque. Now we've always used the one-inch gun because we feel we need that to get them off. But in a hub-piloted system, it's ninety-something percent of what's out there right now. But our guys just won't 
get away from that. Well, we were talking to uh, you know uh, a gentleman last night here who said basically they've taken out the uh, the forward pen. So you can't yeah. use your your gun, your one inch gun, to put anything on. You can only use it to take it off. Some of yeah, some of the some of the newer models they've done that, but I mean it's it, it's still a rough business, and people yeah. are hard on equipment and tools. So right. Dave and I have gone around and around about torque sticks, how they are better than good and tight but they're still not accurate. And, right. and the, the biggest problem with a torque stick is is that if you've got an insufficient airflow or a deficient air wrench, torque stick will actually make you go under. Now, the torque stick will keep you from going way over. The danger there is that you're going to be a under. Big issue there, too. And, and, yeah. and now you're getting into airflow issues. You're going to get into CFM. You're going to get into all kinds of other problems that can go along. I mean, the amount of power that's applied to a pneumatic tool is dependent on a lot of factors, yeah. and it varies. Very. You know, how many tools are being used at the same time? Do I have enough flow in the entire system? You know, if I'm using two impact wrenches at the same time, what are my line size? What is the compressor? Is there a reserve tank? I mean, we can get into all that stuff. And, and, and one of the things we did here at TMC was we figured out it needed 90 PSI at the gun. Right. That's and rated on the gun. It's actually what's on rated the gun. on yeah. the gun. So, I mean, there's a lot of things when you're trying to explain to people, like, you need yeah. 90 PSI on this gun. And if right. you don't have that. And that's free running. Yes. That's so. free running. We would do a test back in, when I was in Louisville. When I had the static pressure at 125 on a 25-foot hose, I would get 90 PSI at the gun. If I used a 50-foot hose, I needed 145 pressure at the, That's right. at the end because I had all that extra length. Yeah, yeah. And again, on the torque stick side of it, you know, running pressure means everything in terms of the power of the wrench. So it, it, there's so many variables in there. And, and one of the things I saw, I don't even know if you've seen this yet, but it's over in the, in the Tuffy booth over here. Uh, Milwaukee has got a new uh, brand of 18-volt uh, rechargeable cordless impact wrenches. And they actually have the ability to shut the torque off at particular torques because of, it's electric. Mm -hmm. So here's an impact wrench that'll pull the tire, it'll pull the nuts off like any other one-inch impact wrench. But when you go to install it, you set one of the four preset settings. You could have a preset setting at 475, and it'll actually deliver 475 foot-pounds with the impact wrench yeah. at installation. I would probably periodically spot check myself, yeah, yeah, yeah just yeah. as a, yeah, as a just thing. But it, there's, there's pneumatic nut runners out there, and there's a lot of technology that's available to get us to the right torque. It's coming. It's, exactly. It's, it's, it's oh, here. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, but it's not everywhere. No, know. it's not. It's not. And I mean, and you can still just go to the old manual torque wrench. I mean, you know, the, whether it's a, and this is a funny story. Uh, you know, when we do our videos, we typically use what's called a breakneck torque wrench. Yep. And a breakneck torque wrench is when you hit the, when you put enough force on the handle, the handle actually bends. So it's, it's a slang as a breakneck torque wrench. And I had a, a, a torque wrench guy corner me in Vegas a couple years ago and just, read me the riot act on why do you use breakneck torque wrenches and I make a clicker torque wrench and it's better than a breakneck and it's all you show in your videos are breakneck torque wrenches and you've got to be on their payroll and they're giving you a kickback and you're getting <laughs> this and this and I sat there and I just kind of waited and waited and waited and I said can I talk now and he said sure go right ahead I'd like to hear your answer as to why you only feature torque neck, breakneck torque wrenches in your videos and I looked him right in the eye and said it looks better on film I can't see a click yeah <laughs> That's why. <laughs> Simple. And look, I don't care what torque wrench you're using, but in a video, I can't see a click. I can see the handle break. Right. It, it just looks better on film. That was yeah. the reason. I mean, I don't really care what torque wrench you're using as long as you're using a torque wrench. And, and get it gets you to 500 yeah. or 475 or right. whatever it is you're targeting. Exactly. Exactly. But, yeah. but we, we really stress, though, on the wrist side of it, 
proper torque guarantees nothing. I mean, yeah, I, I no, can't tell you how many certainly. times I've said that over the last 15 years, or my instructors. Proper torque guarantees nothing. If you don't have clean mating surfaces, if you don't have good fasteners and hardware, if the drum's not seated and it's not, you know, seated yeah. properly on the end of the axle, I can have the, the highest quality torque device on the planet, and I'm still going to get loose wheels. Very so, good. Yeah. So we, we hammer on the procedures and processes. That's our big thing, and, so and you, safety. You've gone through wrist. Yeah. Now you're done. We'll recommend that there is a torque check after 50 to 100 miles. I know that I've done a very good job of, of eliminating the retorque. We don't use retorque anymore because retorque assumes that you didn't do it right the first time. Right. So we say torque check. Recommend a torque check after 50 to 100 miles. Well, and, and we're a little different than yeah. most because we go five. And what our thing is, get the vehicle out, run it around, you know, try sure. to twist and turn and right. get back. And what we have learned from our testing, which was all done by fleets at TMC, mm -hmm. is once you check it at five and you recheck, re re and that joint is pretty good there, we had one fleet that never lost any torque through the whole life of that wheel and that. So, I mean, they were their process was so under control. They were cleaning. Yeah. You know, they were oiling the, the stud correctly. They were making sure the nut was yeah. right. And they used to bring their trucks in and re it saved them literally thousands and thousands of dollars because they proved that their process is under control. We wrote an RP at TMC, yep. and me and Kevin, we've had so many conversations oh. over the years, but the lawyers dictate. Some of them even about tires and wheels. Yeah. Right? <laughs> lawyers dictate what we, oh, we yeah. do. Oh, and yeah. if you have this little chart saying, I've checked 30 because right. that's. I checked Where's 30, and we're Where's all, your data? there's our data, and da-da-da-da. So as a fleet, you want to save these little charts to say, hey, I got my process under control, I check it. So, I mean, that's a big thing in the industry. Yeah. But, you know, again, at TMC, come up something with fleet-friendly usage. Mm -hmm. So Now, here, that's specific to fleets, though, because it's a captive fleet. Yes. You know, they're doing all their own work. Now, on our side of it, you, got you know, everybody. I don't know who I'm going to get. I mean, I don't know where that thing was last week, last month, last year. I mean, so anybody could have serviced it after, before me. Right, right. So we don't have that luxury in the sense that, you know, I don't know who did it before me. I don't know who else. Did the other guy do it at 1,200 foot-pounds? Right. You know, with an ugga-dugga and a good and tight. You know, it's got four ugga-duggas and a good and tight. Now I'm going to do it correctly. So, and the industry is still pretty much 50 to 100 foot-pounds as far as everybody. But, yeah, I agree with Dave. And we say that, too. We don't say it officially, but, yeah, I mean, at a minimum, some figure eights and some railroad something, tracks, yeah. just something to flex that wheel. Make those wheels flex in both ways and, you know, run over some speed bumps or some railroad tracks mm -hmm. or something. But you've got to get that, and, and you got to get that joint to settle. And if it's done properly, it won't. Exactly. It won't exactly. settle. It'll retain all of its and bolt tension. If you didn't do it properly, you'll be able to find out. Correct. Yes. And you'll and, see and movement. Right, right. Right. Uh, do it once, do it right. You know, yeah. That's, no, that's what you're looking for. We'd agree for. with that. I'd agree with that 100%. Yeah. So, You've got, it, you've got it on there. You've checked it. Torque's good. Yep. We're out on the road. Yep. Don't have to worry about my tires again. Well, I mean, every tire should be pre-checked before every trip, and you've got to check inflation pressure without kicking it. You know, the boodometer is not accurate. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, we talked about this yesterday a little bit. You know, is it a, is it a behavior issue or is it a process issue? And, you know, I think that, that drivers have to recognize that they play a role in all yeah. this as well. They're the ones that see it every day. 
So they have to be checking for loose wheels. They have to be checking their inflation pressures with more than a mallet or a tire billy or something like that. I mean, there, there's, it's an ongoing maintenance thing. Things change. Yeah. You know, we typically say that if the wheels fall off in the first 500 miles, it's probably installation. But, I mean, I've seen wheels come loose after, you know, 20,000, 30,000 miles, and they're trying to pin it on the technician that installed it. Look, if I lost tension at installation, it ain't going to go 20,000 yeah. miles. And that's just the way that it is. So we, we try and make sure that we distinguish that a little bit. I've been in a couple of cases where they've said that, and they've said, oh, well, this is installation. I'm like, well, the thing ran for 20,000 miles. Well, but they did something wrong. I mean, it's a hub-piloted wheel. If it was loose when we installed it, it ain't going to make 20,000 miles. Right. So, right. But, so the job is never done. Is no, exactly. Saying, it's know. it's never done. It's never and, done. And, and I guess I'll bring up, and, I, you know, we've had this conversation. A normal tire, you know, there used to be a normal tire loses so much air pressure per yeah. month. Yeah. One to two PSI per month. Yeah. Yes. And when you try to tell somebody, like, hey, that is just normal. Now, if you don't have some type of other issue, like a valve cap on it mm -hmm. that's not... Yeah. You know, that and valve so stems, valve stems, uh, you know, anything type of leakage or anything like that. So people will say, well, tires are perfect. Well, no, they're no. <laughs> no. well the thing is, you're, you're going to get leakage from the system overall just to jump in. I mean, a, a valve is allowed to lose 0.2 cc's uh, during its initial leak testing. So there, there's always yeah. some sort of seepage. Yeah, so you've got to check. Nothing's completely airtight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, nothing's completely airtight. And, and I think that's where the, I know that the on the driver's side of it, you know, and, and, we, and we say this as well, you know, and this is a message for all the fleets out there. If you're not paying for a high-quality inflate-through valve cap, you can't ever inspect your inflation pressure to get checked. Yeah. Because one of the two things are going to happen. Either we're going to run it without a valve cap, and you're going to have an exposed valve core, which nobody wants. Or we're going to put a self-sealing metal valve cap on there, and it's never going to come off. I mean, I can tell you that I, as, a, as a young technician, and, and we had a fleet that ran a lot of aluminum wheels, and they had the small, I mean, if, you know, it's 20 degrees out below zero in, in <laughs> Chicago. And I'm not taking, I'll take valve caps off once, yeah. and then I'm going to put them in a box, and then they're going to stay in the box. But, you know, if, if you don't put inflate-through valve caps on valve stems, then you can't ever inspect anyone to check that inflation pressure. It's just not going to happen. Right. So right. if it's important to you, then pay for a high-quality inflate-through valve cap and, and put it on there. And now there's no excuses. Just Then it's just a ch-ch. And, I mean, now you got TPMS. Yeah. you got ATIS on trailers. I mean, you know, it's, a, it's, an, it's that, that next phase of the evolution, you know, type thing. And we have, you know, TPMS standard on all cars since 2008. Right. Since the 2008 model year. And yet here we are with 80,000 pounds of, of gasoline running down a road at, at 65 miles an hour, and the only way that the, the driver can check the inflation pressure is to actually get out and hit it with a, with a gauge. It's just, it's, it, to me, you know, and, and I, I, I write stuff for Fleet Owner, and, and I, I'm always harping on, on RFID, and I'm always harping on TPMS, and I'm always harping on leveraging technology. We've got to leverage technology if we really want to make an impact, and we're just not doing it. And right. it's the fleets don't see value or the manufacturers don't see value or whatever. But, you know, I think from a liability perspective, it would make sense. I'm seeing more and more of it. We've already trained to it. We've already trained to demounting and mounting tires with valve stem sensors, anticipating it. Okay. So that we're already prepared. So we know it. And that's worked really well. But it would seem to me to be so easy to put a light on the dashboard and put sensors in all 10 tires on the tractor and, you know, ATIS and, and 
those type of systems on trailers are, are fantastic. I believe it is a tire pressure monitoring system. It's not traditional, but I still think you're monitoring pressure. Um, the driver still gets notified if it's losing air, it's yeah. providing air. Air to the tire is the lifeblood. It's the engine oil. It's the transmission fluid. It's critical. And to not focus on that and to just ignore that is, is short-sighted, and it's going to cost people money, and potentially it could, it could be dangerous. I mean, let's face it. If, if the tires go flat en route, you know, Lots on the problems. road, yeah, exactly. It's, it depends on where and, you know, all the different factors that kind of go into that. But it's, it's a complex system that's very simple. Right. You right. know, <laughs> I mean, right. really what it is. And without air, you're not going to have anything. And so, I mean, we look at, again, as a systems approach, it's, it's everything. It's a lot better than it was when we first started, Dave. Oh. I mean, you know, we're a lot safer today than we were years ago. I think we're going to all have the same problems moving forward with uh, finding people. I mean, I know that, that on the truck tire side of it, I can promise you long days. When it's hot, you're hot. When it's cold, you're cold. When it rains, you're going to get wet. When it's parked in snow, you're going to be working in snow. And, you know, when it's parked in something else, you're going to work in that, too. So, I mean, they're, you know, to the youth of today aren't really interested in working hard with manual labor. So, I mean, it's hard to find people that want to do this job. So we've got to find ways to make it easier. And we have to find ways to leverage technology. I know that I was just talking with a, a dealer before that said, you know, they're, they're moving to tire changing machines now because they can't get yeah. guys to do the physical work. It's just... It's not going to be doing it for them. So now they've got tire changing centers. They've got $25,000 tire changing machines. And the guy just sits there and runs the joysticks. And they're like, yeah, young people will do that all day. They'll stand there all day and just do the joysticks and stuff like that because they're not doing the labor. Now, if you want the money, you got to go into road service. And that's where the money is. Right. And that's where you're going to get your overtime. And now, i got a question on that. Yeah. On, on the road service, isn't it allowed to have the, do they change the tire right on the truck without taking it off? That is a... Because I've heard that. Yeah, that's... It's the, the one time that it's legally acceptable is if you're installing a new tire. Okay. If I'm going to mount a new tire on an outside position, technically, I don't have to take the wheel off the, off the rim. Okay, well, uh, we're getting to the end cool. of our, our discussion. There you go. I <laughs> guess we're done. Yeah. Boss says we're done. So, Kevin, hey, thank you so much for coming by. Yeah, we appreciate it. Really, really great discussion. We'll see you next we'll see you time. Next yeah, time. yeah, yeah. Uh, well, no, we'll, we'll, we'll hear you next time. Yeah, probably. All yeah, right. That's probably good. a good thing. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. Sponsored by Alcoa Wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation, manufacturing, and technology. Inventing the first forged aluminum wheel in 1948, its team of experts continue to develop the most lightweight, efficient, and high-performing commercial vehicle aluminum wheel products. Bringing you revolutionary innovations like Alcoa Durabright wheels, Alcoa Durablack wheels, the new Alcoa wheels hubboard technology, and the lightest truck wheel on the market, Alcoa Ultra One 22.5 by 8.25 wheel. Alcoa wheels, the global leader in aluminum wheel innovation.